Ho 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 and welcome back to a fairly festive edition of Indie Filmopolis. My name's Philip Hugh, a filmmaker, and back in the seat next to me is the ever so jolly Mike Bourne. Actor, writer, producer, madman. Welcome back, Mike. Would you like a mince pie? I'd love a mince pie, but lamb mince doesn't really go well with it, but carry on. Indie Filmopolis is a podcast dedicated to indie films, the ones we make ourselves and the ones that we enjoy. This episode, we'll be talking about the final stage of filming at our main location for our very own low-budget feature, Own Worst Enemy. And then, we'll be recommending and chatting about some of our favourite alternative and lesser-known Christmas films. But before we delve into all of that, we just want to give a quick but massive shout out to our amazingly patient Indiegogo supporters. Thank you for hanging in there. We assure you that we're not far off now. If you found this podcast by other means, my relentless tweeting about it perhaps, uh, a big warm welcome to you too. Thank you for joining us. Right, Mike, uh, I'll go and throw another log on the fire. Why don't you tell everybody what Almost Enemy is all about? Twas a night not long after Christmas when all through Andy's house. In reality, no creature was stirring, not even a mouse. But in Andy's mind, there was someone there, a man named Mr. B, who for Andy, he did not care. While Andy should have been laid or snug in his bed, Mr. P was rampaging all through his head. He was such an unpleasant and disagreeable chap, turning the screws, hoping Andy would snap. He destroyed all his things and ate all his food. That put Andy in a terrible mood. But things only got worse and looked very bleak as after much heavy rain his roof sprung a leak. He wouldn't leave the house in case he floated away, but with no food or heating he was foolish to stay. But soon with a house full of unwanted imaginary guests, Andy's mental state was really put to the test. Mr P and Andy look pretty much the same, and both are played by a man who goes by the name of actor-producer Madman Mike Bourne, but he's not the only one who's got Andy so forlorn. Andy's other tormentors were plagued by Dyer and Waters. And they were the ones who had Andy confined to his quarters. And with a couple of Weasleys rounding off the cast, I'm really not sure how much longer this rhyming can last. But I'll just say we're polishing and buffing some of the edits and making sure everyone's got the right credits. Like it's written and directed by Mr Philip Pugh. And all of us wish a very Merry Christmas to you. That was splendid, Mike. Just to reiterate, we are polishing the edit and getting it ready for a crew screening that we've tentatively earmarked for the end of Jan. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get some final feedback so we can make some final changes before we lock everything, which is scary. Lock the edit and then have it graded, scored and mixed. And Good scary. Yeah, yeah. Good scary. That is where we're at. So previously we've talked about the conception of the film. We've talked about pre-production. We talked about our first stint at the main location. We've talked about the filming with well. um, Matt Waters. Yeah, that was a fantastic. And so essentially, just in case you're joining us on this one for the first time, initially we were going to do 10 days at one location, and that was going to be our entire filming schedule. Yeah. We did, I reckon, about 14 days at the yeah, location, we and we still didn't get everything finished. No. So we packed everything up. The location was really weird in that it was available to us for pretty much as long as we wanted it until yeah. someone else wanted to move in. That's and at it. that point, no one was wanting to move into this location. So the landlord was very happy that we kept all of our stuff there. I think we just bunged him 50 quid or something just That's to let it. him store, just to let us store all of our stuff there, all of our props. We took obviously all the equipment with us. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah, the stuff. But all the props we left there. 
and then I think it was a six to eight week period and during that time we did another crowdfunding campaign yeah and then once we'd done that and I was able to go through all the rushes and stuff we went back and I think initially we were going to possibly do a couple of days but we got it for another week and we did a solid seven day shooting yeah and that's what we're going to talk about yeah that's it yes um when we were there the first time and we were aware that we weren't going to get it all done we just focused on each each room so we did all the bedroom scenes done the majority of the lounge scenes and the idea was if we couldn't get back in the location we could easily mock up a hallway yeah and we could easily just have any old kitchen but fortunately we were able to get back in and so the second phase was all the kitchen scenes all the hallway scenes and a handful of pickups and reshoots yeah by the front door there was a stairwell yeah. up to a tiny little attic yeah which we believe and the landlord said that the previous person who was running a business from there had made into a bedroom, which is illegal. You're not allowed to sleep in a business premises. So that there was a very kind of shady um, goings-on there before. Yes. But the staircase doubled in as the cupboard because it was yep. ideal. Mm -hmm. You had Laura sort of behind this pack of shelving on the stair, almost lying on the stair with the camera shooting through the cupboard. So, yeah, what well, in the script it demanded a cupboard, like you're saying, there wasn't... A natural, there wasn't a cupboard or a or another room, which or, yeah, the... which we could have used. But I realised that we weren't going to use the staircase, and we had this door, so we might as well make use of it. But also figured that we'd only ever shoot from maybe chest high. So what we did, and my dad sorted all this out. He was sort of like the unofficial carpenter of the the shoot. He did, did he built a door for us and all kinds of things. And so it's hard to explain this but um so if you imagine a staircase going up essentially what we did was we built in three shelves down so far and then put in a backing which we could do down to a point because obviously stairs going up diagonally yeah. we could only do shelves so far but it didn't matter because we only needed the top three shelves to to get those shots but yeah like mike said the shelves were removable the yeah. back was removable so we could put Laura literally inside the cupboard, remove the back of this the fake cupboard, have Laura there shooting over the top of the shelves and through the the uh, paraphernalia or whatever yeah, the, the junk the junk that he's got in his cupboard. Um, and those shots look great. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do. Learning where the camera was, and from my perspective, when I pull something out because the shot is so narrowly focused on Andy mm -hmm. because you've got to get the shelves and shot. It's it's learning about. Yes, I might be holding what I want out of this cupboard, but I've got to bring it up yeah. to camera so that mm -hmm. everybody can see those. It's, yeah. it's so different doing acting in front of camera than it is on stage. Absolutely. The positioning that you have to put your place in is I remember, quite I think we talked about this before when I asked you to decorate the lounge as you thought Andy <laughs> would do it. And, and I came in and saw it, and I was just like, none of this is going to be on camera. So we <laughs> sort of had to shift things around just to make sure that, you know, the few props and that that we were going to use. We're, we're kind of in sight. So a big story arc throughout the film is the fact that Andy becomes tormented by the weather presenter. All her weather forecasts are rain tomorrow, rain the next day, rain, rain so rain, on rain. and so on. And like Mike said in his uh, poetic intro, he springs numerous leaks in his ceiling. So we have to figure out a way to have all these plumbing drips. Because water was not our friend. Again. They were integral to the film. Had I known how bloody difficult it was going to be to get some drips, I might have rethought <laughs> some well, of these uh, things. Just next time we do a film, technical shots will be first. Yeah. 
it was inconceivable to us, and I'm sure if you listen to this, it's inconceivable to you how difficult it was just to get some dripping water from the ceiling or just yeah. out of shot. And not just that, as well as getting water dripping from the ceiling, you also had to make sure that never in shot were the contraptions that were used to get the drip going in the first place. Everything had to look like it naturally came from the ceiling. Yeah. So, of course, we couldn't drill holes through the ceiling and have anybody above it. We had to mask what was actually going on mm-hmm. and hide everything and that became a technical challenge as well so the and do you remember thing, how we did it oh very vaguely so what we did was we put uh, screw hooks in the ceiling that's it yeah and then we had these plastic cups you know like water cups yeah and we put a cable tie through poked holes in two holes in the top put a cable tie through poked a tiny hole in the bottom filled up the cup with water hung the cable tie off the screw hook, water drips. Yeah. In theory. But it then became a science of how big the hole had yeah. to be to get the right consistent drip going. If it was uh, too much of a big hole in, then it would empty very quickly, and then it was a race against time to get the shots done. Yeah. So the biggest problem was that we would have the drips in the shot as you were talking. Yeah. So yeah, instead of them being pure cutaways, there had to be water dripping all the time during all of your yeah. talk it or your scenes talking to yourself and so yeah i just remember you know you'd be going great guns it'd be a great take and then the water would stop and we're like Fuck. <laughs> yeah but that was fine we got through it yeah well, water water i mean involved in several things like you said the rain mm-hmm. and so we had to constantly have rain showing and the only way we that was really could really do that uh, was having rain on the front door because a lot of the scenes took place in the hallway so you had the hose mm-hmm. outside because it never did it actually rain at all any I other don't days? I don't recall no, um, but so yeah we rigged so we did actually have oh yeah it, it rained on the very day when we needed oh you're right when I had to bloody walk out the door <sighs> okay <laughs> so yes when literally the days that we could have done with it not raining it, it pissed down um, when we did the, the shots with the Phelps twins, that was supposed to be sunny, yeah. and that was pissing down with the rain. Um, but when we filmed all the stuff when it was supposed to be raining, yes, we had to rig up a hose, which was pretty cool. It was pretty easy. We just, um, what did we do, gaffer tape? A you gaffer hose taped it to, to a, a plastic, plastic garden yeah. chair. Set that in front of the front door, so sort of then had it spurting up, and so it would fall down on the windows, which was fine what was quite funny was for some of the time nigel was out there nigel the producer yeah and he would be given on it but for the times when there's nobody out there you could just imagine the sights of people driving by going what is there a hose aimed at it i don't even know i don't want to know i'm driving on yes and we talked before about having to replace the door oh yes so when we were shooting water at the door the door itself wasn't the actual front door. It was actually set forward from the actual door frame. That's right. So water was pouring in <laughs> so into it, the house. <laughs> we had gaffer tape came in very useful because you did it we all tried, on the edge. We tried, but even so, it was still flooded underneath the door and that mat was absolutely saturated. <laughs> um, and the, <laughs> and we wrecked the the door, the door, uh, the, the door, door frame. frame it yes, warped. it warped. So there the door. We had difficulty getting it yeah. back on. Oh yeah, I remember that. But it was a joy when we finally finished with the hose, and you were dismantling it outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, Carry on. My favourite bit of the film. 
and you went outside with Tanya and purely blind because this hose stretched all the way through the house to the kitchen at the back of the house. That's right. Th and some of these things couldn't be any more difficult, could they? Yeah. There was no outdoor it was taps. Like a so we had 50 to 50 long hose. Yeah, we had to all the way through, snaking through the house to the bathroom. So they turned the tap off, and I, I don't know how I managed to time it so perfectly, but I just quickly turned the tap on, full, turned it off. Tanya comes in laughing, her head off, because apparently you'd been holding the hose right to that point, right to your head. You come completely soaked from the head down, and the first thing you say to me is, you could have forgotten the camera equipment. <laughs> he did. I was standing but right I, next to a camera. <laughs> I was more concerned about the, the camera. Equipment. But I think after that, that's it. You, you, you were happy. And you oh, were it, it was so hard. <laughs> but, but I was like, God damn it. <laughs> the timing was perfect. I, I did it blind, but yeah, one of my favourite parts. So, and we also, I don't know if you remember, the shots where you're sitting in the window of the lounge. Yes, yes. And so what we did there was we got the same bit of hose and we stretched it for the length of the window and we put some C-stands outside. I do remember. And then we poked holes in in yeah. the, the hose and turned it on and then that sprayed at that massive window and that kind of worked. It did, mainly because that window we didn't have to take out and put a different one in. That's true, yeah. <laughs> it, the, the effect of it sort of worked. So yeah, we, we have never fun. worked with water. <laughs> Wood, water, yeah. anything like that again. You just Phil's next film is going to be on a ship. <laughs> you just don't think of um, you know these things. You just say, oh yeah, I just need a, a little drip. On most films, they've got a whole crew, which it's that's their whole yeah, problem to sort true. those things out. For us, it was just like one of a million problems that we were trying to sort out. But it got done, and it does look good. The rain on the door, especially, mm -hmm. does have looks really, really good. It does and the drips yeah. and they work in a grey as well. And, um, like, and you were saying before these these times we were here, we'd we'd be stopping really long hours because we knew we had to get this film completed in yeah. seven seven odd days. Mm -hmm. And I think that ended up uh, some of us actually sleeping on location. Well, you night. you certainly did. Yes, yeah. I remember you spending a couple of nights because we weren't allowed to stop at the location technically, but it just got to the point where it's just like. Fuck it, you know, we, yeah, they'll never know. So yeah, you guys slept over a couple of nights and... Um, Amanda came over for some of the shoots. But um, one of the times when she was there, she... Um, uh, because some of the crew at the back have nothing to do, and it can happen that way as an actor, you can sit at the back while the crew are setting up, or makeup, so makeup will do you up, and then mm -hmm. when you're off the makeup, have nothing to do for a while if you're on set. Um, the makeup uh, ladies, Tanya and Sam, decided to do Amanda up and made her this wonderful hairdo and makeup. And because of that, they made up Amanda for our wedding. I remember. Uh, just all the, the little links all yeah. together. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, and that was good for them as well. They got work out of it. Yeah, because they came in and did it for coffee and biscuits and, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. the odd sandwich, yeah. Um, and yeah, so you mentioned the infamous last day. The final day. So yeah, we, we went back for seven days thinking, oh, it'll be easy, we'll get all it done. But you never do. What was nice was, it wasn't a very big crew and cast, it was just me, you, and there was about a total of about six of us or seven of us. Yeah. And they stuck out at it for those days that we were there, the seven, seven days we were there. 
and yes near the end everybody was really eager to get it done really eager to finish and tempers were getting a bit frayed but nobody at any point wanted to do it quickly they were after doing it correctly mm -hmm. no matter how long we stayed there which is why on the final day we ended up staying there till three o'clock in the morning yes people were eager to get home but people more eager to get it right and that was brilliant news left to the location <laughs> on the final night didn't yeah so, so like i said we had to be out the next day and so this was incredible as well like it was three o'clock in the morning and people were going are you sure you don't want us to help you tidy up and i was like no for god's sake just yeah go. I think all of us piled in this car i think paul's car yeah paul's car and there was like five of us mm -hmm. just all piled in and we all just got dropped off home thank paul for that and matt said do you want me to come back in the morning and help and i was like no 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 just go 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 yeah. so I was still running on adrenaline and tried to tidy up for a, a little bit, but that, then I just crashed out on the, the horrible, grimy sofa, which by that point was just been like soaked a in milk. Just of, uh, of mushroom loveliness because yeah. you were so tired. Oh, but it, it was still disgusting. I was still aware that I was lying on dried milk and cornflakes <laughs> yeah. from the scene that you did with Matt. Yeah. You dumped um, a bowl of cornflakes hey, he said go for it no 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 um, i'm just saying that was Matt's that was a fault. really ratty old sofa by that point it, it was not <laughs> yeah. but it was you know it was the only place to crash at so i crashed out for a, for a bit woke up and then just tried to get everything ready so we could just get it get get it out in the uh, the next day Brilliant. so that was the very final stint at the our main location which was yeah. andy's house the interiors of andy's house we still had some some way to go but the the bulk of it was certainly over we had an exterior shot to do which we'll talk about yeah. next time and we also had some inserts that we needed to do like the we talked about the rain dripping within the shots we also needed the shots of the leaky ceiling but yeah. like you said we couldn't drill through the ceiling to create yeah. leaks so we had to do those separately at a different time and then we come across this mysterious missing scene and the mysterious missing scene yes we will talk about all of those lovely frustrating <laughs> issues um at a future point so anyway it's december and it's getting scarily close to christmas uh so we've picked out a few alternative and lesser known christmas or christmas related movies for you to watch while you recover from the frantic present buying we've tried to assemble a pretty broad mix of stuff uh they're mostly indie or low budget films uh there's some horror some thrillers some more traditional stuff animation shorts and there's even a family movie thrown in but mike let's start with the snowman from 1982 this is the 26 minute animated film directed by diane jackson and jimmy t murakami based on the wordless illustrated book of the same name by raymond briggs it's about a young boy who builds a snowman the snowman magically comes to life and then takes him to the north pole to meet santa yeah say no to strangers kids now if you're british you're probably thinking that this is a very odd choice to include as an alternative or lesser known Christmas movie, as it's essentially, well, it's essential Christmas viewing in Britain. However, we have listeners from the US, Australia and Finland, and while it certainly has hit your shores, we don't think it's made the impact that it's made over here. So we highly recommend you checking it out if you're unfamiliar with it. It's very British, and with a soaring score and unique animation style based on Briggs drawings, it's great fun, heartwarming, and literally heart-melting. Uh, interestingly, there are actually three different, slightly different versions of the film, all featuring a different intro. Mm -hmm. 
the original intro had author Raymond Briggs himself playing an adult version of the boy from the story Walking Through the Countryside telling his story of the snowman. And when it first aired in the US on PBS, they filmed a new intro with David Bowie in an attic as an adult version of the boy form story instead of Raymond Briggs on the grounds that the animation needed a star to appeal. In the third intro, Father Christmas, voiced by Mel Smith, is seen in his living room talking about the story of the snowman before sitting in his chair to watch the snowman on TV. This uh, has always been a charming film. Yeah. Even the drawing itself, it's it's almost hazy. Um, it's very soft-edged, mm-hmm. soft focus, and you're drawn into it more because there's no talking. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really like about it. It's a contemporary silent film. Yeah, and no matter how many times you've seen it, no matter how many times you know what's coming, the ending still... Um, so. Still, he still breaks hearts. It's amazing. Um, we it's won't mention the god awful Snowman and the Snow Dog that they did a couple of years well, ago. They, uh, you can't it, beat yeah. the original. No, but it was it was genius. I can't remember which intro I saw first, but I definitely remember seeing the David Bowie one when I was a kid, and not because I didn't know who David Bowie was. I was sucked yeah. in, and he had the scarf in the um, in the intro. He's <laughs> like, oh, it must be real and based on something, because how else would this man? Yes. Who I don't know have a scarf, but rewatching it and seeing it being David Bowie, okay, that shatters the magic somewhat. It does a little bit. David Bowie can't save it from that. From a heartwarming British animation to a cold-hearted <laughs> American '90s comedy thriller, The Ref. This was recommended to us by Sean Strong, who is the awesome and ridiculously talented photographer and graphic designer who did all of the posters and promo art for Almost Enemy. So thanks for recommending this one, Sean. Uh, The Ref, it's a movie from 1994 directed by Ted Damey. I think he might be the brother of Jonathan, the more more successful. It follows Dennis Leary as a cat burglar who gets abandoned by his partner in the middle of a heist and is then forced to take a bickering and irritating couple on the verge of divorce hostage. It goes from bad to worse as the couple's blackmailing son arrives home for Christmas, then they're later besieged upon by their even more annoying in-laws. In the process, Dennis Leary inadvertently becomes their marriage ref and tries to resolve all their differences before he can get nabbed by the police. I really like this. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware of it. Have you heard of it? I've not heard of it. I know of Dennis Leary. Yeah, yeah. He's, he can be a comedy genius sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, well, I can't say I'm particularly a big fan, but um, this was a. I've never seen him in you know in a better role. He was perfect for this. Normally, I find him quite obnoxious and irritating, but uh, this was a, a role made for him. My favourite moment. All of the family are bickering, and to get everybody's attention, the husband, who's quite a repressed, meek fellow, he uh, he beats the living shit out of the Christmas tree with a <laughs> an iron log fire uh, poker. And then you've you also got the uh, the obligatory mother-in-law character, who's very much the cliche of all cliche mother-in-laws, but she's very funny. So yeah, if you're into '90s comedy heist movies and looking for a Christmas film, I'd check out check out okay. the ref. And again, thanks Sean for uh, sending that one our way. That sounds good. So from '90s America to Finland, this is the only um, foreign language film on the list. It's called Red Exports from 2010. 
The gist is, do you believe in Santa Claus? On the eve of Christmas, a young boy sits out to discover the truth behind several strange goings-on in his small, isolated village, uh, with questions like, why have all the reindeer been slaughtered? Who took all the hair dryers and radiators? And where are all the children gone? Seal the chimney, lock the doors, hide your children. This year, the real Santa Claus is coming to town. I thought this was awesome. Very original. I think I've mentioned before that really dig certain films that are set in locations that I'm very unfamiliar with or they have a way of life that you know isn't normal to us in Britain yeah um, and in this case you mentioned the reindeers essentially they depend on the hunting of reindeers to keep themselves alive throughout the year and so on yeah, the, the, and... the, the Finnish are a, a huge hunting community they treat mm-hmm. hunting very seriously as a way of life so when they found all the the reindeer slaughtered it effectively bankrupted this whole village and without giving too much away the um there's an excavation uh, going on which they believe to be i think they just think they're digging for oil or whatever yeah actually what they are digging for is the grave of santa claus the original santa claus okay and so when this all unravels and they find out that that's what they were actually digging for they end up holding hostage someone who they believe is santa claus or okay. the, the version of santa claus that <laughs> these people were trying to find and because they're completely bankrupt because the, the deer meets um, no use, they use um, this person who they believe is Santa Claus as leverage to get money from the excavation who are, <laughs> were the ones after Santa Sounds in the first place. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. Obviously, it's got a massive twist to it. And it's a really well-made film. It says on the the back, Tim Burton, eat your heart out. Yeah. To be honest, this felt way more like a, an 80s Spielberg film to me than anything else. It's got a sort of a, a Stranger Things kind of vibe as well yeah. to it. So yeah, if you like your classic 80s Spielberg and your, your Stranger Things, I would definitely recommend checking out Rare Exports. It's, it's funny, it's original. Very curious thing, you've been to Finland, you might be able to shed some light on this. There's not a single woman in this film. There's not a single woman in the village. Wow. Uh, well, um, I know the Finnish are very much up on more the men do the hunting. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a very sort of belief that the men do the hunting and they're, they're well known for it. Uh, Finland, Finnish people are very, uh, live a very isolationist life mm-hmm. anyway. So when something happens which means all the hunters have to come together, that's a, that's a big thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah. A lot of these communities are so isolated mm-hmm. from nearby town to see Helsinki, Tampere, and Nokia, all the main, all the big cities of Finland are are on the southern part of yeah. Finland. You go any further north, mm-hmm. and that's where it does become very isolated, very retrospect, even just single houses on their own. Mm-hmm. So that's. But there uh, are women in Finland. You can confirm that there are I women. I can in confirm that there are women in Finland, okay. but they're not. Big hunters. They're mm-hmm. not cons- well. They're, uh, they're not really considered big hunters. Not that I've come across anyway. Also, Finland is famous for having, as a tourist thing, having the actual Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, they're they're famous for if you ever did want to see Santa Claus in his actual mm-hmm. making the stuff, in his toy shop, Finland's where he's based. Yeah. Well, that's what uh, you know. They're after the the actual real Santa Claus yeah. in this film. Yeah. So you're going to check that one out? You're going to take that off yeah, as well? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going to check that one out. Especially as we've got um, family and friends in Finland as mm-hmm. well. It, it's definitely one that we'd like to check out and if possible even suggest to them. Cool, they might have already seen it. Uh, no, 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 no,
Okay. Smashing. I um, thought I'd check out a few short mm-hmm. Christmas films. I, I purposely stayed away from the sentimentalization of Christmas. I've tried to go with alternative Christmas shorts. Yep. And one of the ones I came across was one called The Gift. Mm-hmm. A strange moralistic take. This family wakes up. And all of them, including the young four-year-old child, mm-hmm. they're all wearing chains around the wrists. Okay. All of them, they wake up, and it's Christmas morning, and every one of them has got chains, and their presents mm-hmm. <coughs> are all exactly the same. They're the keys to unlock their chains and unlock the front door. Yeah. And it's... This doesn't turn into a Saw movie, does it? No, no. It's, it's just a fable. Yeah. On uh, materialism. Mm-hmm. For example, the young man of the house, the, the well-to-do businessman, he, he goes spouting on about how he likes his chains, how he likes to live in his chains, and he doesn't want to be released from them. Right, OK. The, the problem of the moral is they can stay in this beautiful house that they have mm-hmm. with all its trimmings and it's perfectly laid out and very homely and warm and very ornate. Yeah. And rich looking, this is a rich, rich family. Mm-hmm. But if they undo their chains and undo the front door and walk out the front door, they can never come back in. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a film about sacrifice. Okay. What are you willing to give up? Are you willing to give up all these materialistic goods to live a more freer life? Mm-hmm. It, as a short Christmas film, it's something unusual, something very different, and it's worth checking out for yourself. Awesome. And you found that on YouTube? Yeah, that's available on YouTube. Awesome, so it's worth mentioning at this point then, we've been putting up the podcasts onto YouTube. As well as doing that, we've been able to create some playlists to go along with them. So any short films that we've talked about, or trailers for movies that we've talked about, or even clips from movies that we might have mentioned, um, I've been putting as many as possible into individual playlists for each episode. So if there's anything we talk about in this episode, or any other episode, and you think, that's really cool, if you go to YouTube and search Indie Filmopolis, You'll find the channel, all the podcasts on there, and the playlists as well. So delve through the playlists and you'll find shorts like The Gift. And others that I'll mention later. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, do check out the playlists. So next, a Canadian film from 2013 called Pete's Christmas. This is a family film. It had a relatively small budget of 2.5 million US dollars. It essentially steals the premise from Groundhog Day, and it's about forgotten middle child Pete, who has to relive the same miserable Christmas over and over again until he can, he himself can create the perfect Christmas for his family. Despite the uh, the blatant plagiarism, I thought this was a lot of fun. It's a good fun film. If you're going to steal, steal from the best. So. <laughs> Despite a bit of cheese, this wasn't really a generic family Christmas film that they the wheel out year after year it has the obligatory moral message but on the whole i thought it was quite refreshing and pretty clever there's one scene in particular that i quite liked where the previous day pete the main character he gets blamed for causing a power outage in the house despite the fact it was the fault of the older brother for overloading the power circuits when the power went out it knocked out the um, the oven timer so the family's christmas meal was ruined and he gets into trouble for it so he has to like I said, relive the day over and over again. So the next day, instead of trying to avert this thing from happening, he sets up a video camera to catch his brother in the act of overloading the circuit so he can get his brother into trouble. Oh, right. But of course, his parents, instead of telling off the older brother, 
tell him off because you know why why weren't you averting this why were you filming this trying to get your older brother into trouble you're a middle child uh, no my brother is. oh you, your brother is so but even so you've got two two brothers i've got a brother you can appreciate yeah. the whole brotherly uh, goings on in this film yeah, yeah I can, definitely. so anyway if um if you've got kids or nieces and nephews and you don't think they're quite ready for groundhog day this is a fun way to kill 90 minutes sounds good uh, another short from you, Mike. Yeah, um, another one I watched. Now, this is only three and a half minutes long, and it's called The Worst Christmas. Mm-hmm. It's about a young girl who opens her Christmas presents. They are not what she expects, right. and she ends up in Siberia. <laughs> okay? She, okay. The, this is how this, the story goes. She's literally sitting at the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Her parents come down okay. and say, you can open some presents. She opens one present and uh, it's a pen knife and she's like well okay this is okay what else have i got she opens the next one and it's a box and it's got ugg boots on it and she gets really excited oh this is lovely oh opens it and it's got a compass in it okay and they go well you, you know and she complains a little bit it's mm-hmm. getting a bit silly now. yeah you know, she goes on a little complaint and then she goes for the third present which is quite flat and it's a one-way ticket to siberia and she goes, what, what? And she complains to the parents. And the very next scene afterwards is her just trudging through the snow going, worst Christmas ever. Right. The acting, script, plot, design, it, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. However, after seeing the credits, you mm-hmm. realise that this is a family that's put this together. Okay. That's the actual mum and dad, that's mm-hmm. the actual daughter, and the cat, and the person who directed and filmed it was probably the son. Right. So, as as a film on its own, don't don't give it much critique this, high production value. Th- this this looks to me like a young man yeah. experimenting mm-hmm. with film for the well, first time this, been the, there. yeah and this looks like yeah. this kid's first attempt cool. so look at it from that mm-hmm. perspective like i say disregard the acting he's worked with what he's got yeah. as a young as i i imagine he's a young man mm-hmm. working with what he's got with an idea that he can use and he's used what he's got and he's come up with this. So, as a three and a half minute thing, it's great to see how somebody's starting out. Interesting that you should uh, talk about that one, which you think is a family production. Because, mm-hmm. for a change, that does bring us nicely on <laughs> to the next film uh, Christmas Apparition. Whenever I watch a film that I like, and even films that I don't like, particularly indies and low budget films, I'm always interested to find out who was involved in them and see if people had multiple jobs on them and that kind of thing, find out what the budget is. So, with this film, which I enjoyed, I'll explain a bit about it in a minute. I looked into it and ended up going down a complete rabbit hole with this one. As far as I can tell, the person who wrote and directed it put her yeah. children in it in the two main roles, and the other person who wrote it with her stars in the other main role. There's three main roles, two of which I believe are played by the director's children. Then the other person who co wrote it plays the other role. And going through the crew list on IMDb, there's a lot of people with the same name as the the cast and the director. So this feels like a a family film. This is a feature. It's about a college student called Emma who's turfed out of her dorm room over the Christmas break as they fix the boiler. She was banking on being able to stop there. She's reluctant to go home to her mom and she just happens upon the opportunity to house sit for a woman while she goes off gallivanting over Christmas, leaving her two children behind as well for the for this college student to look after. So I really enjoyed this. It's a psychological thriller. There's a lot that unravels within it. Bit of a slow burner, 
nicely acted, looks nice. But the thing that uh, set me off down, a, down the rabbit hole with this one was, like I said, looking into it. One of the things that it claims is that it cost a million dollars to make. If you've included a family. Yes, and so this is the only way that this film would have cost a million dollars to make is if they paid the three main actors 300,000 each and then spent the remaining 100,000 on the production of the film. It doesn't look cheap, but it doesn't look a million. It's it's not you wouldn't write a film set in a house, primarily set in a house with three core cast members and spend a million pound a million dollars on it. It doesn't feel like Hi, darling, what's the mortgage on the house up to? A million dollars, great, we'll put that in the budget. It's essentially that. The other thing that got me a bit curious was it said it was released in 2016 yeah. as this film Christmas Apparition. So I was looking at what the, dir- the director had also done and on her, she hadn't directed too many things but one of the things she'd released in 2013 was a film called The Cold and the Quiet. Okay. I went to have a look at that on IMDb and it has the exact same cast the exact same crew the cast playing all the same characters okay the crew doing all this facilitating all the same roles that they did on christmas apparition and it has the pretty much the exact same synopsis as well the exact same running time <laughs> so alfred hitchcock did do that with one of his films and yeah. further to, within a three-year period well yeah admittedly it was a longer period for alfred hitchcock but he did essentially make the same film twice he did and so did Michael Henneke with Funny Games as well (laughs) but I don't know if you've got a million allegedly a million dollars lying around do you remake (laughs) the exact same film with the exact same crew doing the exact same roles I don't know so I'm I'm a little dubious about whether there are two versions of this film or whether for some reason Christmas Apparition and The Cold and the Quiet are in fact the same film it could be Leon the film was called Leon in Britain and in America it's called The Professional but they they're not listed separately on IMDb with different release dates on okay. them. <laughs> no, that's you, that's true. Um, as much as I enjoyed the film, the whole unravelling of <laughs> this mysterious other version of the film and the million dollar budget that had me way more intrigued than the film itself. <laughs> Have you uncovered a fraudulent thing? I don't know. Tax evasion yeah, that's or the, Well, maybe. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't say too much about it. It might have a hit on us or something. Um, but yeah. But check it out. But no, no. It's this thing. I really enjoyed it, and that's why I wanted to see what else they'd done. <laughs> I don't know. And there's another... I haven't checked out the other things that they've got listed that she's directed. It might be the same film. <laughs> she might Again. just be retitling the same film. The, the other thing that I found really odd was the... The 2013 film, The Cold and the Quiet, won a bunch of awards. So if they did rename it, like why not kind of live off the reputation of the award-winning film? Very curious. One of the things that made me a bit dubious about the million-dollar budget, the alleged million-dollar budget, uh, is a scene right at the very start, which I've just shown to Mike, which is basically the, the main character in her dorm room, and the camera is pushing in on her through the doorway, and in front of the camera and in front of the doorway there are these students walking backwards and forwards in front of the camera first of all they're walking very oddly which we'll talk about in a minute but also it kind of looks like it's the same three people walking backwards and forwards because the first three that go across they're wearing jumpers and then the next three that go across are wearing t-shirts it's like they've just quickly whipped off the jumpers walked back and then you can see there's the same blue jumper and the same white shirt that go back backwards and forwards and it's just really unnecessary to have that many people walking single file by a doorway <laughs> but yes so that i i was very confused about why 
they were walking so funny, but Mike pointed out as to if me. They were walking through a swamp. Yes, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, I, I realised um, that they're actually walking in between the steps of the track that the camera's moving on. Yeah, it's and obvious so, now, but yeah, yeah. yeah so it, it does, it does. Their arms are swinging and walking in a very, almost like they were active walking. But when you realise that they're actually stepping in between yeah. the tracks of the trip over, but it's like you said before, it, it's not necessary. Yeah. There's a, the sound in the background of mm-hmm. dorm activity and the one person arrives. You don't need that this. many people. It was like, they were trying to imply at least nine people, do you think? I'm, I'm yeah. sure there was only three, but they, they were, were trying, trying to, to imply. It, yeah, it's a busy place, yeah. but you don't need no. it. Particularly as everyone's allegedly left for Christmas anyway, and yeah. this was the only person left. You might have wanted one or two people, and it would have been better if they were walking out with backpacks or something. Yeah, um, or something, but now they're all T-shirts and jeans. It's very fun. Anyway, I'm not really knocking this film because I did enjoy it, and I do <laughs> recommend it, but... The, the whole other version of the film that may or may not be the same film <laughs> really uh, really got me um, <laughs> thinking. So, yeah, if there's a detective inside you and you want to look into this, film detective, yeah, check it out. And if we have accidentally unraveled a, um, a tax avoidance scheme like Mike <laughs> was suggesting, uh, we'll, 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 keep <laughs> we'll, keep, we'll keep it a secret. We'll keep it a secret, we promise. Um, yeah, we won't publish this on YouTube or something. <laughs> No, but um, Christmas Apparition, I do recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime, and we've just noticed that it's on Amazon Prime twice for some reason. So, yeah. So, there's two versions of Christmas Apparition on Prime. (laughs) Then there's another version of the film called The Cold and the Quiet. (laughs) It's got the same picture. (laughs) Oh, this is great. So, anyway, again, I'm not knocking the film. I did enjoy it. Do check it out. But bear in mind, it didn't have a million dollar budget. (laughs) And it might be called something else. <laughs> anyway, that is available on Amazon Prime. I guess we should just go back through quickly. Pete's Christmas is also on Amazon Prime. The shorts that Mike mentioned, all the shorts uh, are from YouTube. YouTube. Uh, Rare exports, The Ref, and The Snowman—they're all available on DVD, probably Blu-ray, and possibly for download. Yeah. They're easy to get hold of anyway. Yeah, The Snowman will be coming on at Christmas. Yeah, well, in uh, English, British TV yeah. anyway. So, from one very low-budget film to another. Tangerine was a film I wanted to check out. It's from 2015, and it's probably the most un-Christmas Christmas film out of everything that we've seen. And it's brilliant. It's based in LA, so the Christmas... There's no snow, Mm -hmm. there's just decorations, people dressing up, there's presents and a Christmas tree and stuff like that that are shown on occasion. But it's about a transgender girl who comes out of prison <clears throat> after 28 days. Yeah. Uh, she bumps into her old friend, and her old friend quickly mentions in a rumour that her boyfriend had slept with somebody. And so this girl decides that she's going to go out and find out who this girl is and beat the crap out of her. It's a real spotlight on LA life. Mm-hmm. And as I'm slowly watching the film, I'm thinking... This, this is actually L.A. This is yep. what L.A. is like, mm-hmm. especially down in the, the suburb it's areas. It's an incredibly seedy place. It isn't the, yeah. the glamorous... There's, uh, there's, a, there's a line in the film which summed it up beautifully, and it's the line given by the mother-in-law of a taxi driver. Now, this taxi driver is going off and having illicit affairs with some of the characters that we see, and the mother-in-law decides to go out and find him, and she's in the back of the cab, and she says she hates L.A., it's a beautifully wrapped lie. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that kind of sums LA up. 
from everybody else from the outside it looks like a beautiful christmas present this place where mm -hmm. uh, you know the sun always shines and the people are friendly and lovely i like that but yeah it's a lie underneath one of the things I, I really liked about it there's a there's this flurry of music that plays throughout the film and one particular moment is when the main character is sitting at a bench mm -hmm. at a bus stop contemplating what she's going to do next but in the background you've got this classical music yeah. playing on and it just contrasts so much with what you're seeing mainly because we're used to different sort of music for this very lit scene that mm -hmm. i think tangerine's a perfect name for it because the whole every scene looks like it is just a tangerine yeah. color mm -hmm. the other thing to mention about it uh, tangerine as well is the whole thing was shot on an iphone s mm -hmm. 5s yeah. 5s yeah and it's beautifully framed my main interest in watching this film when it came out was the fact that it was filmed on an iPhone and I just thought it was kind of unnecessary I just thought it was a bit of a gimmicky thing to do because yeah. this day and age DSLRs are so bloody cheap and they they filmed it on three iPhone 5S's for yeah. the price of three iPhones you could buy a DSLR <laughs> so yeah from that point of view I thought it was a bit gimmicky to do that I guess in a way it's good to see how far you can stretch the capabilities of an iPhone but there was no real reason that I could see for, for doing that other than to have a bit of a sort of a, a hook if you like yeah. you know what was going to set this film apart but it it was enjoyable um, it was, it was tiny fast, tiny budget $100,000 yeah. which is nothing and it was exec produced by the Duplass brothers who I've listened to some of their interviews with them and they're the sort of indie filmmakers who haven't uh, approached their career like okay we've made it see you guys later they're very much about helping other people yeah. I think they, they said that they didn't really help out too much, but what their contribution was kind of essential. I think they, they helped get the film into Sundance, and it premiered in Sundance in 2015. And so, yeah, I, I really like that collaborative uh, approach, and not, like I said, the fact that they haven't gone see a lot of suckers and, mm. you know, left people in the dust. They've, um, they've stuck around and helped other indie filmmakers get films out such as this. Even though you say it's a gimmick, gimmicky film, it, it's... No, the film isn't so, gimmicky. No, the, the iPhone S being gimmicky. It's still a film. It's, it's really something I've not seen before. Yeah, it was good. So from a, a legitimate indie modern classic, yeah, go to a bit of a bonkers film. One that I'd never heard of is recommended to us by podcast named Tim on Twitter. It's not a podcast named Tim, it is podcast named Tim. I believe it's a father and son podcast and they recommend a movie and then or recommend a movie to each other and then talk about the respective movies. Okay. Um, so if you're interested, check that out because they recommended this film to us, which is called Santa Slay. I do think a much more appropriate title for it would have been Santa Slays because this is a film about Father Christmas. This isn't someone dressed up as Santa. This is Santa himself going on a kill crazy rampage on Christmas Eve wiping out as many people as he possibly can. Within the mythology of this film, Santa's actually a demon who, a thousand years prior to the events of this film, lost a bit with an angel and had to become the giver of toys and happiness for a millennium. Okay. His thousand years are up and uh, instead of carrying on with what he'd been doing for the past thousand years, spreading joy, he decides to go back to his old evil ways and Slaughter Without people. any hesitation, goes on a, a kill-crazy rampage, slaughtering dozens and dozens of people. And this version of Santa, he doesn't have a, a sleigh pulled by eight or nine reindeer. 
his sleigh is pulled by a, a gigantic massive bison. Like I said, he goes around killing people in increasingly comical and bizarre and bonkers ways. And I just thought this was great. It's definitely not a film to be taken seriously because it, you can tell that the, the film itself doesn't take its, itself seriously at all. It's absolutely relentless from the very start. Santa turns up at this uh, dinner party a few days before Christmas and he pretty much wipes them all out but in very very innovative ways he, he starts by taking the star off the top of the Christmas tree and using that as a ninja throwing <laughs> star takes someone out with that he drowns somebody else in eggnog if you like slasher movies particularly comical slasher movies and you want something for Christmas watch this it's just nuts <laughs> anyway thank you to podcast name Tim for recommending that I've never heard of it before it was a fun 90 minutes from a kill crazy rampage to a movie Mike. Yeah, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. This is a 1964 B-movie in which Martians, upset that their children have become obsessed with TV shows from Earth, which extol the virtues of Santa Claus, and because they haven't got a Santa Claus of their own, they start an expedition to Earth to kidnap the one and only Santa, take him back to Mars, and when he's back on Mars, Santa's able to win over the Martians by bringing fun, happiness and Christmas cheer to all the children to Mars. Very sentimental. It's a B-movie. I thought this was fun. I thought this was fun. Again, you can't take it too seriously. It's just Please, completely dead. don't take it at all. There's a sort of a, an obvious um, influence from this on Tim Burton, I think. It's pretty much got the, the premise of a, a, night, a nightmare before Christmas. And he's a sort of B-movie maniac. Ironically, the best things about it was Santa Claus himself. This was a guy who actually looked and sounded mm -hmm. like you'd imagine Santa Claus to be. Yeah. So his casting mm -hmm. was the best thing in it. Everything else. Um, the bad guy. How did you know he was a bad guy? Because he's got a moustache. What were we expecting from a, a I, film called Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? I was expecting to have that film before Bonfire Night so I could seriously burn it afterwards feeling vindicated that I'd done so. I don't know. <laughs> if you like B-movies and you want something Christmassy, then... I don't know, I couldn't think of anything better than Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. No, it's 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 terrible, terrible film. I don't ever want to see it again. Thank you. Next film is Jack Frost from 1997. And this isn't the um, the Michael Keaton garbage. This is a different kind of garbage. Yeah, we're staying away from sentimental for this Christmas. This is a fairly infamous film. In case you're unaware of it, it's about a guy called Jack Frost, coincidentally enough. He's a mass murderer, and uh, he himself ends up getting killed by so a vat of exploding chemicals as tends to happen in, in these snow, sorts of yeah. these sorts of movies yes and so he himself being burnt by these chemicals sort of merges with the snow and he sort of then transforms into a vengeful killer snowman of course and so he terrorizes the town over christmas and again you can only judge it on the basis that it's a a killer who was dissolved by chemicals into the snow and then becomes a killer snowman. It's that kind of movie. That kind of movie, yeah. It was shot in 18 days and shot on short ends. So there's a, a rumour that this was supposed to have originally been directed by Rennie Harlan, who's the director of Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger, on a budget of $30 million. Again, I'm very dubious about this. It is a, a really deranged film, completely bonkers. 
can't believe for one second that it ever had a 30 million dollar budget attached to it can't think why any studio executive would look at the script of this and think oh yeah sure i'll give you 30 million dollars uh, yeah. to turn this into a film it, it's pretty much the film it deserved to be shot on short ends in 18 days <laughs> nevertheless if you like crazy slasher comedy horror films then i highly recommend this but again don't confuse it for the bloody michael keaton nonsense which essentially has the same plot he just doesn't go around killing people yeah. um which is a shame, you probably should have. <laughs> Might have been a better movie. Maybe that's the $30 million. That's the $30 million. We made two Jack Frosts, yeah. similar to the Cold of the Quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Maybe it's the same crew, who knows? I would recommend that, if you're of a certain disposition, anyway. <laughs> so back to another one of your shorts, Mike. This was my favourite. Mm-hmm. This was called Unwrapped, from 2013. And essentially, it's two guys who seem to work in the back end of this department store. Yeah. And they're wrapping presents. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't say who they're wrapping presents for. It just seems like they're generic people who wrap presents for a big company mm-hmm. to be given out to whomever. The boss turns up and says, all these have got to be done. It's Christmas Eve evening. Though everybody wants to go home. And he says, oh, I'm just off to the office party. And he disappears. These two guys barely say a word to each other but they're both doing the same job sitting next to each other Mm -hmm. and they're both using the same roll of tape it comes to their last gifts yeah these are the last gifts to be wrapped Mm -hmm. and the only tape left is available for only one of the presents okay and all chaos and shit they pull the sellotape between each other and that's it Mm -hmm. It, 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 it's it's come to too much for them Uh, and they start beating in slow motion beating the crap out of each other with everything they can find around christmas mm-hmm. one strangles the other one with christmas lights right and then they retaliate at one point by both jumping on shopping trolleys they shove wrapping paper uh, the tubes onto their arms mm-hmm. and start smacking the right. hell out of mm-hmm. each other and at the end the one guy gets up and he's managed to get the scissors and he's about to strike down on the other guy who's on the floor and he just quickly pulls his present to protect himself (sighs) yeah and just before the guy comes down with the scissors he sees that the present is to him Mm -hmm. from the guy that's on the floor so he stops helps the other guy up Mm -hmm. one of the very last scenes is they're sitting back where they were at this desk each with each other's presents from each other they get the tape, they cut it just in half and have just enough to seal the last present. So it's all happy in the end. But it's this nice, slow-motion, riotous beat-em-up mm-hmm. between these two guys cool. to music. And it's just fun. It's great. It's very simply set up. Yeah. And it's all about this fight with Christmas decorations. And it, it's, it's good. It's amusing. It's very funny. Awesome. So check it out. I will. I certainly will check that out, Mike. So... We seem to have got in a bit of a horror loop here, but uh, the next film is a Christmas horror story. From 2015, these are interwoven stories that take place on Christmas Eve, as told by one festive radio host. A family brings home more than a Christmas tree, a student documentary becomes a living nightmare, a Christmas spirit terrorises, and Santa slays Eve. So yeah, this... um... This is interwoven stories. It's more like um, a horror version of Love Actually than, <laughs> you know, individual stories. It's not really an anthology film. There are individual storylines interwoven. Everybody's sort of connected in some way. 
and I thought this was really good. There's a really nice twist at the end that I didn't see coming, and there's just some really cool different stuff that happens in this, including, like, you know, the stuff in this that, which you wouldn't anticipate seeing in a Christmas film, uh, the likes of which a mother beating the shit out of her six-year-old son with a baseball bat <coughs> because he's possessed yeah. by a demon. Um, That's and it's not, it, yeah, it sounds sort of a bit scary movie-ish, but this is <laughs> not not that kind of humour. She's trying to literally beat the demon out of this kid. And I th if I remember correctly from watching the behind-the-scenes documentary, it was one of those films that came together very quickly. Yeah. I think they did it in about a year. And they got a bunch of directors together, a bunch of writers, and managed to get these interlocking stories going. Sounds a bit like Four Rooms. In in a way, but like I said, they the storylines interweave. Yeah. It's not story, story, oh, story. Right. Um, they all play out simultaneously, yeah. uh, which is a nice touch, and it does kind of set it apart from your standard anthology film. Mm. I think I might borrow this. Carry on. I'll watch this with my wife. It sounds like a lot of uh, lot of fun. Yeah, it's got um, William Shatner. He's the radio DJ. Well, of course he is. <laughs> uh, he's great. So obviously I've enticed Mike. Hopefully uh, you'll be enticed too. Definitely. Yeah. A, a dishonourable mention: the 2006 film by Catherine Hardwick, *The Nativity Story*, which is of course the Nativity Story. There's no more explanation needed mm -hmm. than that. Um, it stars Oscar Isaac and Keisha Castle-Hughes. I thought we should throw in a traditional Christmas film in the mix due to Catherine Hardwick's indie credentials. I thought I'd check this one out. Any good? No. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it is so very, very bad. It is so, so bad. Um, to be honest, I've never been a fan of Catherine Hardwick. I don't know if you've seen any of her films. She did 13 and Lords of Dogtown and Twilight. She did Twilight? Yes. Okay, yeah, I've seen that. And you've probably seen enough. Yes. Take it by the tone. Thirteen was her debut film, which loads of people raved about. I didn't think it was anywhere near as gritty or raw as the critics would have you believe. It came across as though it was by somebody whose natural instincts were to be glossy, yeah. but were trying too hard to be indie and a bit rough and ready. After that, she did Lords of Dogtown, which was based on the far superior documentary Dogtown and Z Boys, and it, that's pretty much the same thing—a complete hack job trying way too hard to be realistic and it just comes off as a, a Hollywood attempt to do a, a Larry Clark film. To me it's no good. If you're gonna if you're interested in that story, which is a good story, watch the documentary and leave the film in the bin. Then she went on and she did this nativity story and there's no difference here. It's um it's a complete hack job. It seems like she's trying to make trying to do a gritty realistic portrayal of life during that period. Yeah. But it's just really just too cartoony in many respects. I read that the cast were taught how to use certain tools from 2,000 years ago and they were taught how to build homes and they were taught how to okay. press olives and grapes and make bread and make cheese and how to milk goats. And to me, that just smacks of a director who hasn't got a fucking clue what she's <laughs> doing. She'd have been far better off taking that time to rehearse with the actors, get them some dialect coaches because they're putting on these phony Middle Eastern accents. Oh. Does it tell? It, it's very telling. So yeah, a rehearsal period instead of faffing around building houses would have been much more beneficial because the acting is atrocious and these aren't bad actors. Oscar Isaac, for God's sake. You know, he's yeah. been in some fairly mediocre films from time to time but he's never been bad in this film. The best way I can describe it is imagine if Joey Tribbiani from Friends directed yeah. a movie. Oh, okay. Have you seen that episode where 
Rachel makes half of a trifle and half of a shepherd's pie. Oh, yeah. And everybody's got other things to do and they really want to get out of there to do their respective things and they don't want to tell Rachel that she's screwed up with the with the dessert. So Joey sort of tries to give them an acting lesson and he's acting tip. He's, you know, he's trying to say, so what you want to do is you want to convince her that you really like it. So what you want to do is you go, mmm, and he rubs his belly and goes, mmm. Essentially... It's like that, the acting in this movie. It's like, I enjoyed that meal. Mmm. Right. Oh, wow. It is so... It's just bad beyond belief. It just comes across that the director just doesn't understand acting or actors and is forcing on acting decisions upon the actors. And it's really... It goes against all of the actors' natural instincts as an actor. And I think if you watched it, you'd, you'd... Surely You'd she have, would have seen that in the rushes, though. I see, having seen all of her film, well, four of her films now, I don't think that she does. I don't think she knows what she's doing. I don't think she knows how to work with actors. I think she doesn't understand the subtlety of what an actor does. I think she like she would have watched the first take and gone, okay, you're not being upset enough. I need you to do this. And like I say, it's, it comes across as very cartoony. And it's like everything's really exaggerated. And because these aren't bad actors and they've never been this bad in anything else, I can, and you can only assume it's the, it's the director forcing these terrible acting decisions upon them. Because it's across the board as well. It's not one actor who's bad. All of the actors are bad. Um, so I did. I went into this with the best of intentions. I did want to enjoy it. I wanted to recommend it. I wanted to put a traditional... I'm not religious, but I thought, you know... We should get one in the mix. But unfortunately, this one's going straight in the bin. Santa conquers the Martian, you know, though. <laughs> no, I'd rescue Santa. If you thought Santa conquers the Martians was bad. I'm just going to take your word for it that the nativity story is bad. This is something else. This is very bad. I did find out that from the very beginning of writing the first draft of the script until its release was exactly one year. Yeah. Which ordinarily I would commend a film for. But this was clearly just a, a cash grab. Oh, just, um, just for the Christmas. Just market. to try and get it out for Christmas, yeah. And it, it shows. It's just a horrible, tacky, rushed version of the Nativity Story, which is a shame. So, anyway, have you got one more short film for us? Yes, yes. I've got a short film done last year, 2017, called Humbug, directed by Matt Thiessen and Justin Lee. This is a film about uh, a goth girl who despises Christmas, which is clear from her drawing a picture of Santa Claus decapitated and then bloodletting all over it. And her neighbour, who's very much into Christmas and wants her to celebrate, and her neighbour knows something about this goth girl, knocks her out and ties her up and is determined to get the humbug out mm -hmm. of her. And after a series of Christmas-related torturing... She manages to grab this black alien snake thing from out of the girl and shouts bar humbug at it, kills it. And suddenly the goth girl is all very Christmassified mm -hmm. and would like to go out caroling. And it kind of ends with them two joining forces to go and see if anybody else needs the humbug taken out of them. It's a very ingenious, very funny very Christmas funny. short. Yeah. Um, I think there's a... Um, Lots of expletives. Uh, yes, the, there's an art to swearing, there's an art to writing swearing, and there's an art to delivering swearing, and both executed perfectly in this <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the, the swearing is extreme, but you can see why it's mm-hmm. used. It, yeah, it's very... It's very yes, it's not excessive, it's, and it is funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please, please check it out. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very good film. Mm-hmm. It's only about six and a half minutes long. That's a perfect length for a short film. I don't think too much to long short films myself. No, I think if, you, if, you, if you're hitting the 15-minute mark, you're, you're kind of dragging it. Mm-hmm. Right, so to the final film. This is my favourite one for a lot. I wasn't expecting it to be. This okay. took me by surprise. This is Better Watch Out. The film debuted at Fantastic Fest in 2016. And it's a movie I really don't want to give too many details away about. Uh, so I've just lifted the synopsis straight from IMDb, which reads, On a quiet suburban street, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders, only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. And like I said, I love this film. It's very sinister, it's very creepy, it's extremely disturbing, uh, and it's really original. But that's a big part of the problem as to why this film hasn't really found an audience yet. It's really become a victim of its own originality and the fact that it's set at Christmas, which is a bit unnecessary. It was touted around film festivals throughout 2016, and because it's a Christmas movie, when it was picked up for distribution, obviously they waited until the following Christmas, 2017, Uh, to release it so it lost a bit of momentum and because it's a film that has twist upon twist upon twist it's clearly a really hard film to market and Universal who ended up distributing it the trailer they they created for it is incredibly deceptive fair play to them they didn't want to give anything away but essentially they created a trailer for a film that doesn't exist what they were doing was selling an audience one film with a clear narrative that was concocted by remixing a bunch of shots from different scenes, which isn't uncommon for a studio to do, but they only tend to do that with shit films to make them look good. Yeah, that's true. This is not a shit film, um, and the reason they did the trailer, like I said, is they didn't want to give anything away. So it was promoted as a generic home invasion movie, which it isn't. So anyone wanting to go and see the film on that basis would have been disappointed by it. And anybody who would have been actually interested in the movie that it was probably would have been put off by the fact that it was being promoted as a generic home invasion movie. So it kind of got really screwed by the marketing and it ended up only grossing $20,000 in America, which is nothing. Worldwide, it grossed less than £200,000, which is a real shame. Because like I said, it is really good. But again, one of the problems is that it's pigeonholed itself as a Christmas movie, which is unnecessary. If it wasn't set at Christmas, it would be the exact same movie, and it probably would have easily found its audience. And like I said, because they waited almost a year to release it, it lost momentum from its festival run. That wouldn't have happened if it wasn't set at Christmas. So it did kind of fuck itself in that respect. But I've got a feeling that once this hits um, streaming services like Netflix or Amazon Prime, I think it will find its true intended audience through word of mouth. I'm pretty sure. Classic. Uh, yeah, I would recommend checking it out now, and so you can be the arsehole that said, I liked that film before it was <laughs> I liked it before it became cool. Yeah, it's definitely got the potential. Uh, to give you a bit more of an incentive to watch it, if the initial promos that Universal put out put you off, it was described by the director as if John Hughes had written a Christmas home invasion movie and then handed it to Quentin Tarantino and told him to fuck it up. When I started to watch it, it definitely smacked of a, a John Hughes movie, from the production design to the, the way everyone was acting. Uh, it's definitely got that feel. And then it took an extremely dark turn. It didn't turn into a Tarantino movie, as the director suggested, but it certainly gets incredibly fucked up. 
and uh, that's all I want to say about it really because the less you know the better so I thoroughly enjoyed it I was engrossed completely appalled and it was a film that stuck with me for a couple of days afterwards which films don't tend to do that often check it out if you've got the time so anyway that's uh, that's the end of our list of Christmas oddities. If you do check any of them out, let us know. Uh, let us know if you enjoyed them as much as we did, or if you checked out uh, films like Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Let us know your thoughts on that, but don't check out the Nativity Story. Unless you like the, the Joey Tribbiani school of acting. If you want to see a movie directed by Joey Tribbiani, then uh, go for it. Anyway, like we said before, Happy Christmas to you. Hope you have a great Christmas, or holidays, or whatever you celebrate. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Very American, but yeah. Happy New Year. This will be our last podcast for this year. Thanks for joining us. Episode number episode number six. So yeah, we've done it for six months of the year. It's been good fun. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next year with continuing tales of making our worst enemy. We'll be talking about the time we shot with the Weasley twins. I yeah. keep calling them the Weasley twins, which is terrible. James They're, and Oliver Phelps. That's what they. I should be referring to them as, yes. Actors James and Oliver Phelps, who are best known as the Weasley twins from Harry Potter. If you watch anything cool over Christmas, let us know. Yeah, if you catch anything. And how are people going to get in touch with us, Mike? Well, to keep up to date with Own Worst Enemy, go onto the website ownworstenemymovie.com. The Twitter handle is at ownworstenemyuk, and the Facebook page, please search for Own Worst Enemy Movie. To keep up to speed with Indie Filmopolis, the Twitter handle is at Filmopolis, that's P H I L. M-O-L-O-P-L-I-S You can also follow us on Instagram at Indie Filmopolis Facebook page search Indie Filmopolis and YouTube search for Indie Filmopolis as well That is spelt I-N-D-I-E P-H-I-L M-O-P-O-L-I-S Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on either SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify or YouTube. And you can also follow Phil Pugh himself on Instagram, Twitter, at film underscore maker. So once again, have a great Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks ever so much for joining us the past six months, six episodes. Uh, We appreciate your support. I'm off to uh, warm the cockles of uh, Mrs. Christmas's heart while Santa goes off and does his job. And I'm going to try and track down Michael Keaton's version of Jack Frost to kick the shit out of him. Sounds good. Cool. All right. See you next year.